So let me read from verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it's presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. Stop there. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll think a bit about that passage. Father, all Scripture is God-breathed. These words we've just read were written ultimately by your Holy Spirit and written for your church, for us, your people. And so we pray that that same Holy Spirit would come, uh, enlighten our minds, uh, that we might receive good things from you uh, through your word. Bless us, we pray, and give us hungry hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. What if you ever ask yourself the question, is God really happy with how I'm living? Is God really pleased with how I'm living? I'm not asking, uh, has God forgiven you? Or will God let you into heaven? But, But as God looks at what you've done this week, what does he think of it? I've discovered recently more and more Christians uh, who will answer that question and say, well, no, he's not. I believe I'm forgiven. I believe Jesus died for me. Jesus lived for me. So I believe I've got eternal life. I believe, therefore, that God loves me somehow because of Jesus. But deep down, in terms of what I actually do, I feel God is just going to be disappointed at best and possibly positively angry. The offering we're looking at this morning, this grain offering, has good news for us. It's an unpromising corner of God's word, isn't it, if we're honest? Uh, Ten verses, we could have gone on and we'd have seen a certain amount of repetition, different ways of presenting this particular offering. But, But ten verses that probably don't immediately jump off the page and kind of smack you between the eyes. And yet it's got a tremendous amount to say to us, I think about our worship here on a Sunday, but also the entire of our lives, and also really good gospel news for us. But before we understand what it says to us, we really need to understand what it meant for the Israelites uh, back then, uh, when Moses first uh, put together this book of Leviticus, back in the desert of Sinai. Uh, So let's think a little bit about the offering. And to understand it, we we must understand it in in context. On its own, it doesn't make much sense. We've got to understand it in the the context of, well, the book of Leviticus. Thankfully, we're only in chapter 2, so it's not very hard to go back 
and understand where we're at. Uh, we've seen so far that all these offerings are to be brought to the tabernacle. Okay, at the end of the book of Exodus, Moses built this tent, and the tent was like God's palace. Three rooms. If you've got one of the little handouts, you'll see on the back, there's a picture of it. A courtyard. That's where the offerings were actually presented. So you'll see something called the bronze altar or the altar of ascension, the ascension offering altar. That's where the offerings were actually taken. But in the center was the tabernacle itself, God's house. Two rooms, the holy place, the outer tent, and then the most holy place, the inner tent. And so, as it were, as you approached and got further and further into those three rooms, you got closer and closer to God's presence. Of course, if you're a normal Israelite, you couldn't just wander into the tent. Uh, you'd be killed. Priests could go into the, most, sorry, the holy place, that middle room, and only the high priest, the top, top man, as it were, could go into the most holy place, right into the place of God's presence. And so we saw last week in the first of the offerings, in chapter 1, that there was a way for sinful, normal Israelites like you and me to symbolically enter God's presence. And it was through a sacrifice, the sacrifice of chapter 1, which is called the burnt offering or the ascension offering. Uh, This is the one, if you look back uh, to verse 4, this one is where an animal dies and the blood, the the death of the animal makes atonement for the worshipper. The animal dies in the worshipper's place. And we we thought about how that pictured Christ dying in our place how ultimately Christ can bring us truly into God's presence, truly into heaven, fully and finally. But what are you going to do once you get there? Okay, Once you have symbolically ascended into, gone up into God's presence, remember the tabernacle in some ways is like a three-story house. Uh, you can't build a three-story tent, but the, the rooms get holier and holier, and it's like they're stacked on top of each other. So as the smoke of your offering, your ascension offering, goes up, representing you, and symbolically, as you like, you arrive in the holy place. What are you going to do? What do you do when you arrive in a king's house? Well, you bring a gift, don't you? Okay, when an ambassador comes to meet the queen, uh, they always bring a gift, something from their country, some of their, you know, something they're most famous for making or some great food um, they're famous for. They bring a gift. And that's what this offering is all about. This offering, uh, called the grain offering in the ESV, uh, is literally a tribute offering. Okay, so the word translated grain offering is literally a tribute. That's what the word actually uses. It's the same word used uh, earlier on in the book of Genesis, for example, when, do you remember the, 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 the 12 sons of, of Jacob, the 12 tribes, as they become? Uh, they've betrayed Joseph and sent him off uh, to, to uh, Egypt. They think he's probably dead. They don't realize he's the prime minister. And they come and they cower before him, not realizing who he is, uh, because they want him to give them grain, to feed them in the famine. And Jacob sends the sons to give Joseph a tribute, same word. Okay, they give gifts so that Joseph will be pleased and give them food in return. Uh, it's the word used in the book of Judges when remember the Israelites constantly get conquered by other nations and then have to pay off the conquering king. It's that kind of giving the gift to someone who is greater than you, more powerful than you. And that's what this offering is. It is most fundamentally, a gift to God. Uh, I think I said it last week. There's a way of remembering the first three sacrifices in Leviticus uh, that I find helpful, at least. Uh, a, B, C, okay, chapter 1, 2, 3. The first, chapter 1, the ascension offering that makes you acceptable to God. This one is the bring a gift offering. There's the B, bring a gift offering. And next week, we're going to be on the come and eat offering, okay, chapter 3. 
So this is the bring a gift offering. And it's not the kind of sacrifice we normally think about when we, we think about sacrifice in the Bible. Normally, if you've been around church for a while and you think of sacrifice, you think of something dying in my place. But there is no animal here, is there? Uh, it's grain or bread. We'll look at the details in a minute. So, so this offering is not about getting forgiven. Okay? It is not about uh, being cleansed. It's not about making atonement. Okay? Not all the offerings in the Bible are to do with cleansing us from sin. Some are, but not all of them by any means. Uh, that's why this offering always came after the ascension offering, the one that does make atonement. Because you can't bring a gift to God until you've had your sin paid for and you've been allowed and come into his presence. Okay? So it's not an offering that stood on its own. It's an offering that was offered with the ascension offering. Uh, as for what actually happened, well, there are two kind of ways of bringing this, this offering. Uh, the first at the beginning of uh, chapter 2 is you could just bring uncooked flour, fine flour. Do you see chapter 2 verse 1? When anyone brings this tribute offering, this grain offering... As an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. Uh, or, uh, if you're not bringing just flour, you could bake it, make it into bread already. And that itself happened in three ways. Uh, in verse 4, you could offer uh, grain baked in an oven. So presumably a sort of loaf of some sort, although it's not, not got yeast in it, so it's not going to look like our bread. Uh, or if it's not cooked in the oven, you maybe haven't got an oven. Verse 5, you can cook it on a griddle. Perhaps like a kind of naan bread or something. Or verse 7, uh, if you haven't got a griddle, you could just cook it, the grain in a pan uh, and bring that. Now, we're not sure why there are different sorts, why uh, you'd bring uh, just grain, just the flour, or why you'd bring a different type of loaf. It might be as simple as bring what you can. Okay? Some people wouldn't have an oven or a griddle or a pan. It's a way of making sure that everybody can bring something. But there doesn't seem to be a significant difference in the meaning between uh, whether it is the different type of loaf or the uncooked grain. So we're going to use the flour uh, as our example. We're not going to look at every single one of them because they're basically repetitive. We'll use the flour, uh, verses 1 to 3, as our example. Uh, what do you do? Well, you bring it, verse 1. Uh, you bring it to the tabernacle. And what do you do? Well, you put oil on it and frankincense on top. See that in verse 1. It's offered with oil and frankincense. Uh, why oil and frankincense? Uh, well, remember where this offering is going to go, where all the offerings go. As they're burnt on that bronze altar out of the courtyard and the smoke goes up, symbolically it arrives in the holy place. See, there's a gold altar in the, in the, the holy place. Sacrifices move, if you look on the picture, from the bronze to the gold as they get closer to God. And if you look at that holy place... And you see this food offering for God. What do you see in that holy place? You see three things. You see a table with bread on it. Well, there's the grain offering. Uh, you see a lamp that is fueled by oil. Okay, there are very specific directions about this oil that fuels this lamp. Well, there's the oil on your grain offering. And you see an altar of incense, burning sweet incense. Well, there's the frankincense that you put on top of your grain offering. If you like, you're getting your bread or your flour ready so that it's fit for the holy place. You put things on it, oil and frankincense, on top of the bread, that match where it's going. This is a food offering for God. It's an offering that 
an offering that, that must be made acceptable uh, for God, this great king. Uh, in fact, he doesn't take all of it. Uh, do you see how it works? Uh, instead of taking the, the entire of your loaves or all of the flour that you bring, all of the grain that you bring, uh, the priest just takes a handful of it. And everything that's left, verse 3, remains as food for Aaron and his sons. They eat it. So a handful is taken and burnt on the altar, but the rest of the flour is, well, kept and eaten, or the bread is kept and eaten by Aaron and the priests. So grain, accompanied by frankincense. Frankincense is what always accompanies gifts to God. The wise men knew what they were doing when they bought gifts to Jesus. They knew who they were giving to. And the result, well, the result is, end of verse 2, it's a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. God is pleased, delighted by this loaf, this naan bread, this pile of grain that you've given him. And that is the beginning of good news. It is possible to give God a gift that pleases him. Okay, you know what it's like, don't you, when you... You're trying to, I remember before I had children and friends had got kids already and it's their birthday and you're their godfather. You think, what on earth do you buy a two-year-old for their birthday? I've got no idea. Never met a two-year-old before. Uh, it's difficult sometimes choosing the right gift, isn't it? Uh, it's awful if you're a minister. Okay, people try and sometimes give me religious gifts. It's absolutely awful. Uh, particularly if they're not particularly religious themselves. I have had some bizarre things given me over the years. Thinking, oh, Jonty's religious. He'll love this. I remember being given a little icon of some Greek saint, I think, at one point. Very difficult to write a thank you letter um, for the... Anyway, it's possible to give God a gift that he does delight in. Uh, back some three and a half thousand years ago, it would have been bread with incense and oil. But it is, if you like, pointing forward to several ways in which we can give God gifts that he genuinely delights in. Now, again... I need to be so clear on this this morning for, for fear of being misunderstood. We've seen already that Jesus is the one that, that makes us acceptable to God. So this is not about somehow earning our way into God's presence, earning our way into that ho most holy place. Jesus does that fully and finally. Nothing you do or say or think or give is going to contribute at all to our, to our salvation. That is all done by Jesus. He is the burnt offering, the atoning offering the ascension offering that carries us into heaven. But we do see when we come to the New Testament that this language of sacrifice or offering is applied more broadly than just to Jesus. Uh, so come with me, please, to the book of Romans. Look at Romans chapter 12. As we think about the tribute offering today, look at Romans chapter 12. Uh, page 947, if you've got a church Bible. Now, in the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, Paul has been going into really huge detail about all that Christ has done for us, about grace, about salvation by, through faith alone, by grace alone. He's taught the Romans so much about what God has done for them. And at the end of that huge, huge exposition of all the wonderful things God has done, in chapter 12, Paul changes tack and says, Therefore, this is how I want you to live in response. And just look at the, listen to the language he uses. Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So I appeal to you, after all God has done for you, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your bodies are to be living sacrifices. And they are holy and acceptable to God. What does that look like? Well, verse 2, it means, pretty simply, just growing in holiness. Don't be conformed anymore to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Your life, says Paul to the Romans, to us this morning, your life is a sacrifice, an offering to God. And we know he can't mean atoning, paying for our sin offering. So what does he mean? Well, it's not the A of ABC. We're in kind of B category, bringing gifts to God. Our lives are meant to be lived as a gift to God in light of the grace that he's shown us. And in Romans 12, it's very vague, isn't it? It's very broad, I should say, rather than vague. It is about holiness. Our whole life is a living sacrifice, an offering. But if we just keep going a little bit further, flick on a couple of letters to the letter of Philippians, Paul can be more specific. Uh, Have a look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse verse 18. Page 982, Philippians 4 verse 18. Paul has been raising money uh, for his ministry. And again, hear the echoes of Leviticus in, in Philippians 4 verse 18. He says this, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, what's Paul saying? Oh, because you gave to my ministry, God is now going to forgive you. Okay, God will accept you because you've given generously. Heaven is open to you because of your financial generosity. No, of course not. He's not changed his mind on the gospel. Again, he's not speaking about atoning sacrifices. Our lives don't atone. But they can please God. Here specifically, it's the giving of the church that is an acceptable offering uh, to God. In fact, that's a quite tight link, isn't it, to, 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 to Leviticus. Do you remember in Leviticus that some of the sacrifice was used to feed the priests, okay, the workers in God's house? Uh, the Church of God, Old and New Testament, have always been called to use some of their resources in order to provide for those who, who, who lead the church uh, under Christ, uh, those who teach and preach God's word. So again... Uh, so it's a bit of a paper trail this morning, but I just want to see it's the, the range of the ways that, that Paul and the New Testament use this sacrifice language. Uh, if you come to 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, you see very tightly Paul again applying the same principle. Page 957, 1 Corinthians 9. And we'll see in verse 13 and 14, uh, Paul making exactly this point. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul's speaking about those offerings. Remember those who worked in the temple, i.e. the priests and the Levites? Well, verse 13, they got their food, they were fed by what was brought to the temple. In the same way, verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel 
should get their living. That's why it's right that we employ ministers where we can. We don't expect them to do it for free and have side jobs. It is right that the church supports those whose job is to proclaim the gospel. And certainly Christchurch Central, particularly the trustees who organise this, have been very generous in the way they've done that here, for which I'm very grateful. But it will be something we need to think about if God willingly grow and bring more people on board. Uh, we need to be able to provide so that they can give themselves to that work uh, of proclaiming and preaching the gospel. And that will be worship. That will be bringing an offering, making a sacrifice for God. Uh, just one more, one final uh, way the New Testament picks up this language. And the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, after all Paul's letters, Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, page 1010. Again, Hebrews is a book full uh, of rich uh, passages explaining how Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus did it all. And yet, despite the fact that that whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know, has preached continually about Jesus paying once and for all for our sin, the author can still speak about us making sacrifices. Look at verse 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him, that's Jesus, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. It's a sacrifice of praise. Actually, that's not new to the New Testament. Uh, We won't look them up now for the sake of time. But in the Psalms, on several occasions, uh, David and other Psalmists write about a sacrifice or an offering of praise So here's Psalm 107. Uh, Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Our songs are offerings. What we uh, sing, our hymns, our psalms on a Sunday, they are offerings, a bit like the grain offering to God. Uh, And God says in return in Psalm 50 that the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Again, he's pleased with it. So let me ask you, as you look at your life, think of Romans 12, all of life is a sacrifice. When you think about your giving, particularly to to church, and when you think about your singing on a Sunday morning, do you think of them as offerings to God or just kind of stuff that we do? Is it simply, I'm a Christian, so I kind of have to give, I kind of have to try and be holy, I need to sing at church because kind of everyone does that and, you know, let's just get on with it. Or rather, do we come with the same attitude as the Israelites and think we are bringing gifts in each of those areas? It really changes everything if they are gifts rather than simply duties. So let me ask us a couple of questions as we close. First of all, in terms of these offerings, okay, what we give to God, are we giving God our best you notice, as we read the, the re- reading uh, in Leviticus 2, that time and again, the Israelites were told they must bring fine flour. It's the kind of thing you could read over and just think, well, just a minor detail. But, but actually, the, the, it's very specific. There are different kinds of flour. There's two different kinds of flour talked about in the Bible. It's not a very exciting topic, is it? Um, but, but sometimes the Bible talks about flour, and it means the kind of rough, normal stuff. You've probably got it in your kitchen back home. You just make some bread with it. The widow of Zarephath, when she feeds Elijah miraculously, that's the kind of flour, the word used for flour there, just normal bog-standard flour. This is a word for the best flour. 
Okay, and it's really emphasized all the way through the chapter. Everything you make must be fine flour, fine flour, fine flour. God doesn't want the cheap knockoffs. He wants the best when the Israelites bring their sacrifices. There's a reason why we use the word sacrifice to mean something that is costly. I remember when I was an assistant minister, my boss at the time, uh, telling me about his time as an assistant. Uh, and he'd been in a little church meeting. It was an Anglican church. And uh, they realized that the, that the carpet in church needed replacing. And in the little church meeting, someone said, oh, well, actually, uh, we've just decided to change our carpet uh, and get a new one. Uh, so you can have our old one. And the vicar said, oh, that's great. Actually, we'll take the new one. <laughs> that's cheeky, isn't it? I'm not sure I not, not have the guts to say that. But he was just trying to expose a bit of an attitude. Obviously, we have the best for our home. And hey, in all my generosity, I'll give the knockoff, worn-out one that the kids have been vomiting on for years to use, to use at church. It's just the kind of attitude that can slip in, isn't it? God gets our, our second best. Think about your whole life. What would it mean, just think to yourself in your head now, what would it mean for God to have the best of your time, the best of your energy, okay, the finest part of your week? What would that mean for when you pray or, or when you read the Bible? What would that mean when you think about our worship together as a church, the sacrifice of praise? What does it mean for our, our singing? Okay, you won't always like every song that is sung. You won't know every song that's sung. Sometimes if there's a few people away, it's small, it's a bit awkward. But what does it mean to sing as an offering? To do our best in that aspect of our worship? Now, have we come a little bit slapdash? Okay, as the Israelites indeed did, uh, the Israelites later on in the Bible are told off, rebuked uh, for bringing God shoddy offerings. They started thinking, I'll just bring any old, any old goat, you know, the one with a lame leg will do. Uh, let's bring to God what he deserves, our best. So are you giving God your best? Secondly, are you begrudging the sacrifices you do make for him? Are you begrudging the sacrifices you do make for, them, for him? Uh, we didn't get there because we didn't read the whole chapter, but in Leviticus 2, the last of the, the various types of grain offering is called the, the first fruits. Now, first fruits is a whole festival about it, and we're not going to go into that now. We'll get to it much later in Leviticus one day, another year probably. But the idea of the first fruits was that when the first crops came through, you know, the first apples on the tree, the first grains of wheat, you collected them and brought them to the temple as an offering to God. And the idea was you gave him the first stuff that came out, to represent giving him everything. You acknowledge that it was all from him. It was all his anyway. And so you gave back the first stuff to acknowledge that really it was a gift to you anyway. None of it is yours. Again, think about the time you give to God or the sacrifices you make for the sake of holiness or the sacrifices you make when we come together or the financial sacrifices you make to see the gospel go forward. Are you begrudging them? If so, the, the answer is to remember that really you're just giving back the first fruits, just a small portion of what God has already given you. You are not giving God your money, your time. You're giving back to him a little bit of his money and his time that he has given to you. I remember uh, uh, probably about university age, uh, a band um, called Sixpence and on the Richer. There was a band called Sixpence and on the Richer. And the, the name stuck in my head. It's a weird name for a band, isn't it? Sixpence and on the Richer. 
Uh, and years later, I found out that actually they're, they're Christians. And that phrase, sixpence non the richer, comes from a, a C.S. Lewis essay. And C.S. Lewis says this. Um, uh, imagine a father who gives his son pocket money. Okay. Uh, and the son, after a while, thinks, do you know what? I so love my dad that I'm going to give him a present. I'm going to buy him a present. So he takes sixpence and he goes and buys his dad a, 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 a book and brings it to the dad and gives the, the dad this book worth sixpence. And Lewis says this, the dad is sixpence, none the richer. Okay? It was his money anyway, he just gave it to the son. But he's delighted that the son has given the gift back. Also too with our offerings, God is delighted when we give to him. It's not that he needed it. It's not that he was short in the first place. But he delights to know that his children love enough to give back. And also that should soften our hearts to, to realise we're sixpence on the poorer, if you like, to turn it round. It was all God's anyway. In, in a sense that that word mine is a, it's a non-word. Nothing is yours. Nothing is mine. Everything is a gift. Are you begrudging the sacrifices you make for him? And third and finally... Do you believe he loves your sacrifices? Remember Hebrews 13, the passage? Uh, it might even still be there in front of you. Uh, verse 16. Don't neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You can genuinely, you can please God in what you do. Yes, it will still be tainted by sin. Okay? Yes, nothing you do is, is perfect. Uh, yes, you'll only be accepted fully and finally because of Jesus. But actually... Actually, because of Jesus, it's not just your life in general that is covered, but even your actions are covered. And we talk about being justified, being declared right in God's sight because of Jesus. But actually, that what you do is also justified, if you like. So a couple of the, 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 the confession of faith, the doctrinal basis of our, our church, I think called the Westminster Confession, says this, believers are accepted through Christ. Okay, there's the gospel. But it goes on to say this, their good works also are accepted in him. Okay, what you do is acceptable to God. It's a bit like if, you know, I've got little daughters, if one of them draws a painting, okay, it's not going in the National Gallery, is it? Let's be honest. Okay, the, you know, the people have only got two fingers and the, the birds have got no wings and the, the sun's got a smile, not terribly realistic. But when, a, you know, my little girls give me a picture I don't sort of sneer at it and say, oh, that's rubbish compared to Rembrandt. I'm delighted. Well, so too with our gifts to God. He loves you. It's not just that he loves Jesus and you're kind of hiding behind Jesus. He loves you. He accepts what you do through Christ. So that question we began with, is God ever pleased with you? Yes, he is. And in the grain offering, this bring a gift offering, he invites us to to show our love in return and give him all that we have and all that we are. Now let's pray that that is exactly the kind of attitude that permeates us as a church. Let's pray now. Father God, we praise you that we are uh, in Christ, accepted into your presence, that he has paid for our sin once and for all, uh, that we are fully and finally uh, saved and secure in your presence. Uh, we pray that in response, you would motivate us to bring our offerings to you, our lives, our money, uh, our time. Uh, Lord, might we give you our, our best and not treat you uh, as some second-rate king. Uh, we ask for hearts that, 
uh, delight to obey. And we ask that by your spirit, you would increasingly transform us into Christ's likeness uh, so that what we do and what we sing, uh, that everything we bring to you uh, will in increasing measure please you. Uh, Father, we confess everything does come from you. You are the Father of lights. Everything comes from your right hand. And so give us, we pray, grateful hearts as we return to you just a small portion of the blessings that you've showered upon us. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.